for God gathers us here with that community called faith, where the hungry are served first, where the thirsty drink life's water. We come, for God welcomes us here into that home called grace, where the naked are clothed in robes of hope, where the stranger is embraced as the long-lost prodigal. We come, for God reunites us here, sisters and brothers and siblings in that family called love, where the imprisoned model justice, where the sick are cradled in God's peace.
Thus says the Lord our God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out the scattered sheep, so will I seek out my people, trusting that God is indeed seeking us. Let us confess our sin together. Let us pray. Loving and merciful one, we thank you for the community in which you have placed us, for the brothers and sisters with whom we walk this pilgrim journey. Yet we confess that we fail to love as you love. We push aside those whom we believe are the least in your kingdom. We fail to see your kingdom in parables because we fail to see your kingdom in each other. Form in us a new vision of community in which there is neither east nor west, south nor north. We pray for the sake of your kingdom that both is and is not yet. Amen. Thus says the Lord our God, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down. I will seek the lost, and I will make and bring them back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. The relentless grace of Jesus Christ always finds and forgives us. Thanks be to our ever-seeking God. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this, the Sunday of the reign of Christ. Extending Christ's peace, we invite you to turn and greet your neighbors in sharing the peace of Christ with them in whatever manner of greeting feels most comfortable and welcome. So, beloved, may the peace of Christ be with you all. And also with you. Let us share Christ's peace. And God's people said, Amen. Our welcome extends both to those worshiping with us in the sanctuary and to those worshiping with us online from locations across the city of Chicago, including the Admiral and the Clare, and around the country from Bath, Ohio, from Washington, D.C., Naples, Florida, and points in between and beyond. 
We encourage all of you who are worshiping with us in the sanctuary to fill out the information form or the pew pad found at the end of each pew to let us know that you are with us today. And again, for those of you joining us online, we hope that you will continue to let us know where you're joining us from today. You can do that by using the QR code on your screen or in the link below your video. All are invited to take part in the life of this beautiful congregation. And you can find your invitation in the second half or from pages 7 to 11 of your worship bulletin. I encourage you to take a few minutes today to explore the opportunities listed there where you'll find a variety of ways to engage, including Advent and Christmas opportunities, from holiday dinners to concerts to devotion resources and special services to gift drives. And for those joining us online, I want to point out something in particular to a special opportunity for you to meet and share informal conversation with our beloved interim pastor, Tom R., uh, via Zoom, and that will happen this Tuesday, which I believe is November the 28th, and that will be 6 p.m. Central Time. And the Zoom link can be found in your bulletin and also on our website. As we continue as the family of faith to worship God together, I invite Pastor Tom and Rhonda Faulkner for our ministry minute. Rhonda, welcome. As um, uh, you are here because you participate in a ministry called Christmas Wishes. So in case there's somebody who's new and doesn't know what Christmas Wishes is, tell me a little bit about that. Yes, thank you. Christmas Wishes is a long-standing tradition led by the women at Forth, one of the many gifts of service that they do each and every year. And this year, like in a year in the past, it's evolved a little bit, but we're collecting gift cards in the amount of $25 and or books for all of the Chicago Lights tutoring students that are a part of the program here. And that can be done between now and December 6th. And you can find all the details in the bulletin and the bulletin is listed on the website as well about how you can participate if you're able. It's really a gift to be able to make the Christmas a special time for the kids, some of whom may not be receiving much of anything else. So there are a lot of things that happen here at Forth, and you are involved in a lot of them, but tell us what is particularly meaningful to you about Christmas wishes. Well, I, I imagine that all of us, probably this week especially, are reflecting on how thankful we are for all of God's many gifts and blessings. And I think, I think about an offertory response that we often sing here, and I'll spare you my singing, but it goes, some of the verses are, with these fruits of time and labor, with these gifts that are your own, give us grace 
to love and serve you, living what we pray and sing. Thanks be to God, it's a blessing to wake up today and be here with you. So any resources, um, time spent, any resources that I may have are all thanks be the grace of God. And this is one small way that I can give back for all that's been given. And the Chicago Lights Tutoring students are here in our church home each week. And this is a space where they can feel safe and cared for. And Christmas Wishes is a way for us to demonstrate God's love and generosity and celebrate the best gift of all, the birth of Jesus Christ given for us. So it's truly a, a blessing to be a part of this amazing Fourth Church family where there is a mission to be a light in the city living what we pray and sing with our gifts that truly are God's own. So if, if you're in a space where you might be able to make a donation, we'd be so grateful. So thank you. Rhonda, thank you for the ministry that you do and that others do to ensure that the students of Chicago Lights uh, not only feel that they are welcomed at home here at Fourth, but that they are indeed children of God. Thank you for that ministry.
Let us pray. <clears throat> God of mercy, you promise never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of the generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Enable us to respond to your gracious promises with faithful, obedient lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Our Psalter reading this morning is from Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. Listen now for God's word. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy the rock of salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to the Lord with psalms. For you, Lord, are the great God, the great ruler above all gods. In your hand are the caverns of the earth, and the heights of the hills are also yours. The sea is yours, for you made it, and your hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For the Lord is our God, and we are the people of God's pasture and the sheep of God's hands. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. second reading comes from the closing parable of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the 25th chapter beginning with the 31st verse. Listen to this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, 
just as you did it to one of these of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, I love Thanksgiving. I love gathering in the kitchen to cook together, albeit my role there is somewhat modest. I love gathering at the table to eat together, and my role there is a bit enlarged. I love how stories are told at the Thanksgiving table, often stories that have been told there before. But most of all, I love who gathers. It's family. Even if, those, if there's some there who are not family by blood, gathering at that table is like being family, and I love that. I will admit that the lectionary gods who placed Jesus' parable of the sheep and goats following the Thanksgiving feast are doing no favors to the preacher. As Matthew's gospel draws to a close, the parables get more and more difficult. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal punishment. As nothing less than our own salvation hangs in the balance, which is probably not what you were hoping we'd talk about these few days after Thanksgiving. It reminds me when I was a child, from time to time my mother would open the back door and holler out to us, put that down, you could poke somebody's eye out with that. Now I no doubt was engaged in some roughhousing that made my mother nervous that someone would be injured. And so she exclaimed, stop that right now, Tom, stop it right now. You could poke somebody's eye out with that. Now it's an interesting phrase and I admit I have done no research, but anecdotally, I don't think she used this phrase because there was a rash of children in central Alabama with eye patches. I think it was just a mother's way of saying, listen, this is important. If I understand it, Jesus is talking like a mother from central Alabama here. He's saying, listen, this is important. And it is. It is an unsettling passage. The Son of Man divides the nations. Interestingly, you notice there is no mention of anyone believing or not believing in Jesus. That's not what separates sheep from goats. Also, neither sheep nor goat actually see Jesus. 
When was it that we saw you, they ask? What distinguishes sheep from goats is that sheep evidently see people. Goats never do. Don't be a goat. Jesus called his followers to pay attention to those on the bottom, to see them. When I was hungry, you fed me, he said. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You treated me like a human being when the circumstances of the world treated me otherwise. In Barbara King Solver's masterful novel, Poisonwood Bible, it tells of Nathan Price, a fundamentalist preacher who goes to Africa to save the lost. His ministry there is largely a failure because he went to save them, but he didn't love them. In the process, he all but destroys his family, arguably for the same reason. Nathan and his wife, Orleana, they have four daughters, Ada and Leah are twins. Leah is beautiful and smart. Ada was born with a twisted body and walked with a limp, forever shaped by having to share life with a sister who demanded too much of the womb, she says. One night, the family is awakened as ants march through the uh, village, consuming everything in their path. Everyone raced to the river to escape the ants. Ada, with her limp at a distinct disadvantage, is scooped up by her mother and carried to the river. Thirty years later, haunted by this memory, she calls her mother and over the phone she asks, that night by the river, why did you choose me of all your children? Why did you scoop me up? Orleana responded, when push comes to shove, Ada, a mother loves her children from the bottom up. We are that way, I think. We love our children, but the one who is sick gets our attention at the time. The one struggling with algebra gets our attention at the time. The one going through a divorce or who's lost her job gets our attention at the time. We love our children, but we love them from the bottom up. I think God does too. That's why Jesus calls our attention to the least of these. There is something essentially Christian about paying attention to those on the bottom. You know that, but why is that the case? What is it about that that is so important? Uh, one answer comes from liberation theology. Liberation theology has grown up from the bro broken places in the world where people's suffering has interacted with the gospel and raised important questions. A central teaching of liberation theology is that God has a preferential option for the poor. For those of, for whom the world's powers have been at best apathetic and at worst injurious, God loves those for whom suffering is inescapable. God's love for those for whom suffering 
uh, is unavoidable. God loves her children from the bottom up, liberation theology teaches. And I think that's true. There are more than a few places in Scripture that say it just that way. I think that's true, but I also think it's complicated. For when we start deciding who God loves the most, our history has taught us that it often results in, in oppression of those deemed less lovable by God. When our love for God for any reason becomes bad news for our neighbor, we have missed something. But still, Jesus says, see them, really see them, those at the bottom. Goats won't see them, don't be a goat. But why? What is supposed to happen really when we see the least of these? Jesus said salvation is at stake. But you noticed, it's not the salvation of the hungry or the thirsty or the prisoner. It's ours. At stake is the salvation who see them or fail to see them. There's a lot of preaching on Matthew 25 as a text of mission, but it's really more than mission. It's a text of salvation about our seeing one another as we really are. And I think the key to the whole passage, I think the key to the whole passage is verse 40. Just as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, members of my family, that's who Jesus says the least of these are. They're his siblings. This story is a story for the church, for Matthew's congregation, and for this one. And for those of us who gather around this story, we rightfully understand ourselves as the children of God, as siblings of Christ, as God's own family. That's a right understanding of ourselves. So you see what's happening here. If we are God's family and they are God's family, then we are family with one another. And when we see the least of these, not as the recipients of mission, but rather as siblings, there is a brokenness in us that begins to heal. When our kids were young, I used to love to read books to them at bedtime, Good Night Moon and The Very Hungry Caterpillar and Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And I would, from time to time, read them a Dr. Seuss, and one of their favorites was Yertle the Turtle. Can I read you a bit of it? I'm, could I, would you, would you, I'm going to, so pretend to enjoy it, all right? <laughs> pretend to enjoy it. On a faraway island of Salamasan, Yertle the Turtle was king of the pond. A nice little pond. It was clean. It was neat. The water was warm. There was plenty to eat. Until Yertle, the king of them all, 
The side of the kingdom he ruled was too small. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. So Yertle, the turtle king, lifted his hand, and Yertle, the turtle king, gave a command. He ordered nine turtles to swim to his stone, and using these turtles, he built a new throne. He made each turtle stand on another one's back, and he piled them up in a nine-turtle stack. Then Yertle climbed up and sat down on the pile. What a wonderful view. He could see most a mile. Well, the story goes, Yertle grows more and more covetous of an expanding view. He demands more turtles to lift him higher and higher until at the bottom, a turtle named Mac, just a part of his throne, and this plain little turtle looked up and he said, beg your pardon, King Turtle, I've pains in my back and my shoulders and knees. How long must we stand here, your majesty, please? Silence, the king of the turtles barked back. I'm king and you're only a turtle named Mac. But then the throne begins to shake and rumble and King Yertle falls thud down in the mud. And the story ends this way. And today the great Yertle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That's all he can see. And the turtles, of course, all the turtles are free as turtles. And maybe all creatures should be. If I understand the story, the problem with Yertle is not that he couldn't see far enough. It's that he failed to see that his turtleness is connected to a turtle named Mac. Yertle the turtle king can forget that his life is connected to a turtle named Mac, I suppose, but our king has reminded us of this truth. Our humanity is caught up in the humanness of others. Our humanity does not fully come to life until we understand that when there is hunger and when there is thirst and when there is violence and when there is injustice, our being family with one another is what is at threat. In February of 1997, President Bill Clinton entered the House chamber to give the State of the Union address. His cabinet was led into the room by Madeleine Albright, Secretary of State. She said this, for the first time, a woman led the cabinet down the aisle between the applauding congressmen and senators. It should have been a moment of unmitigated joy it wasn't. You may, you may remember that in her growing fame, being named Secretary of State, she learned some things about herself that heretofore she had not known. She was Jewish. Her family had fled Europe to escape the threats of Nazi socialism and to protect her, her parents did not tell her of her heritage. 
She also learned that 12 members of her family had perished during the Holocaust. In July of that same year, 97, Secretary Albright traveled to the Czech Republic. While there, she visited the Pinka Synagogue in Prague. She described it this way. Entering, you observe on the wall what appeared to be a finely sketched pattern of wallpaper. But upon closer inspection, you see it is actually made up of neat black writing listing the 77,297 Czechoslovak Jews who died in the Holocaust. Then she said, the Jewish officials accompanying me pointed out the names of Arnost and Olga Korbel. They were her grandparents. She wrote, I had not foreseen that I would start visualizing my grandparents in striped concentration camp uniforms, seeing their hollow faces staring back at me. I thought about how they must have suffered, their struggle to survive, the torture of their last hours. A year earlier, I had been in that same synagogue, she said. The synagogue was the same. I had changed. The names on the wall now were family. What do you suppose would happen if we started seeing people who suffer as family? As all part of God's family, so all part of our family. I don't know how we get there, it's a heavy lift, but I am trusting Jesus that the first step is to see them to really see those who suffer as family. And if we see one another as family, then maybe, maybe someday, some beautiful day, we'll gather in the kitchen and we'll cook together and then we'll gather at the table and we'll eat together and there'll be room for all and enough to go around and we'll tell stories, no doubt stories we've told before and it'll feel like family, if not by blood, then family by the blood of our king. It would almost be like gathering at some global Thanksgiving table. I don't know what we might call a day like that. But Jesus was pretty clear. He called it salvation. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
remain standing as we affirm the faith that we believe. The life, death, resurrection, and promised coming of Jesus Christ has set the pattern for the church's mission. Jesus' human life involves the church in the common life of all people. Christ's service to all people commits the church to work for every form of human well-being. Christ's suffering makes the church sensitive to all human suffering. And Christ's crucifixion reveals the consequences of the church's own complicity in injustice. In the power of the risen Christ and the hope of Christ's coming, the church sees the promise of God's renewal of all human life and of God's victory over all wrong. Please be seated. Before we join together in prayer, I want to invite those of you who would like to offer individual prayers of praise or concern with the deacon today to do so in Stone Chapel to the right of the pulpit immediately following worship today. And now let us lift our hearts and minds to the one who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Let us pray. God of heaven and earth, scripture tells us your word, your word made flesh is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing soul from spirit sheep from goats, truth from fiction, and our ideals from our contradictions. And so we know, O oh Lord, that neither we or the world are as we should be. But this morning we still rise to praise you for the gleam by which our bright star is cast. We give thanks that you have seen us through this year from Advent to reign of Christ Sunday and back again on the cusp of this time of anticipation. These days remind us of the possibilities of festiveness and community. So we pray that each of us might taste of that goodness. And may you console us when through distance of grief that sweetness still seems too far away. We praise you, O Lord, for glimmers of peace, of hostages released and the guns of war being quieted even for a little while. In this pause, we pray that you might plant the seed of true peace and justice that might grow and endure in the difficult times to come. Be with our Christian siblings in the Holy Land. Strengthen the, Palestin the Palestinians and Israelis who seek peace and prosperity in that region and those who seek it here closer to home. We praise you for the glimmers of hope we feel when despite the wounds of our own bodies, the aches of our own hearts, your faithful presence encourages us to walk once more in the ways of life to draw on the healing care of doctors and loved ones, to strive toward new opportunities to better ourselves and serve others, 
And some days when we can do no more, we still give you thanks when your tender voice tells us we need not busy ourselves with worry, but we can pause knowing that it is enough that we and you are here. Companion God, we pray that these fresh glimmers of your promised future might burn and shine brightly in our world as we await your coming reign. Where condemnation in our world pervades, we ask that you would help us to seek mercy. Where callousness and indifference rule, we pray that your compassion would break us open to the widow, the orphan, the migrant, the unhoused in our midst. Where we are too reluctant to seek the cause of justice because of its inconvenience, give us courage to press forward wisely and creatively into a new day. God, your freedom is coming, your peace is coming, your love is coming. Make us ready as those who pray as your son Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The measure of our lives, friends, is found in how boldly we reach out, word in compassion and faithfulness to all who are in distress. But this isn't something we do alone. We build and do such work together, just like we do through the ministries and programs of Fourth Church and Chicago Lights. You may give now in the pews or via the QR code and links on your screen. In gratitude, our morning offering is now received.
us join together in our prayer of dedication. From your grace, Creator God, comes every blessing in our lives and world. In fidelity to your beloved Christ, we gratefully share the fruits of your blessings with all who have need until the day your reign comes and all creation flourishes. Amen.
Remember this as you go. You are loved. The love of God calls you by name. It is a love that will never let you go. So let that love encourage, instruct, inspire you to do the good that is yours to do, to share the love that is yours to share. And God will use that to lead us to God's promised day. And now may the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of God's spirit rest and abide with us all now and forever. Amen.